Greetings, my name's Andrew Sumner. My grandfather, Pop Smythe, bought me my first comic book in Liverpool, England when I was three years old, and I spent the next 50 years hurtling around the pop culture kaleidoscope, first as a fan and then as a journalist, editor, publisher and presenter. Along the way, I met a bunch of interesting people who will be joining me here. Creators, performers, professionals and public servants. We live in divisive, fractured times, but art and popular culture connect people from all viewpoints and from all walks of life. I'm often struck by the passions people enjoy, that they can set aside their differences for and agree on, whatever those passions are, whether I share them or not. And that spark, that moment of instinctive, connective agreement, that's what I call a hard agree. I've had morphine before, you know, just in an ordinary way. It's never done much for me. Unless I mix it with, with Newcastle Brown, I found it worked all right if I tried. <laughs> but it's, you get drunk as well, and you don't really want to get drunk. So, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of... Now, now you've made me. You've given me something I've got to try. So the next time, <laughs> next, time I'm, next time I'm back at home in Liverpool, I'm definitely trying some... Newcastle pinch. Brown and morphine. That pinch, sounds perfect. Pinch, pinch. I, I was rolling. I was up in the dale, rolling around in the snow, and having a whale of a time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's brilliant. Hey, I'm going to use that moment, that 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 that, that moment of altered states here in North Wales, to say, I'm Andrew Sumner. Welcome to Hardy Green. I'm privileged to be joined by my regular guest, the one and only, the great. Michael Moorcock for another episode of Michael Moorcock's Multiverse and I thought this time around Mike we could have the conversation that I've been trying to have with you a couple of times a couple of the other times we've spoken but there's been so many other things to talk about and who knows we may not get to it fully this time around that's to talk about your relationship with music so so yeah. how did when did you always know that that you you're a musical person. When did that first present itself, and how did you get into playing? I think it was in the atmosphere in the in the 1950s. You know, a lot of yeah. us were were just about emerging at that time. I think I was I was part of probably the first generation, what you might call the Jimmy Page gener generation, because I think he he was about the same age as me and living yeah. not far from me. And I think he was working as a as a teacher at that time. I, I mean a guitar teacher anyway so yeah it's I think it was that 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 sense of opportunity when skiffle came along I mean I think yeah. it's got to be skiffle I used to deny it later because I you know I, I, I we, we 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 started to think the skiffle was you know was, was pretty crap it's it Lonnie, wasn't the, it wasn't and all that yeah yeah it wasn't the authentic stuff and, but but initially it wasn't you know it wasn't just Lonnie Donegan there were a lot of people doing stuff and it was American folk, American folk music played with a bit of a beat, really. Yeah. A sort of upbeat. So instead of, you know, it takes a worried man to sing a worried song, it'd be, it takes a worried man to sing a worried song. <laughs> but yeah. it, it was, but also it meant that there were instruments that were within your grasp. There were, there were, there were things, you know, you could actually, they, they were using instruments that you could, you could, you could, you could acquire eventually, even if it meant paying, you know, ten bob a week into a into a to a music store to get to get a cheap guitar or or whatever it was. You know, I, yeah. I actually made a silly mistake and and swapped my 
incredibly rare toy soldier collection for a, for a, for a, for a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but I actually started with drums because drums were cheaper. I, I was putting, my mum wouldn't let me do it in the house, of course. No, no sensible adult would. Oh, I was, this, is a, this is at the shed at the end of the garden. And the, the, the drums were all right, but weren't very satisfied. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't, they didn't go along with the singing very well. So I, I got a banjo eventually and, and basically learnt, learnt to play the banjo and then learnt to play the guitar. And we had a skiffle group. I think I was 14 or 15. I was still at school. I left school at 15, so, so it would have been in that little patch. And we did some gigs, you know. I, I, I actually abandoned the guitar at the time for, for a, for a T-chess bass. Wow, which I, okay, yeah. Which, which was bloody awful because you had to get it on and off with buses. I mean, you, you, you get a gig, but then you didn't have a car. So yeah. you thought, well, how are we going to go? Can't walk all the way. And, and the bus drivers didn't like you bringing on this great big tea chest, you know. What a buddy, oh, is that? Because it wouldn't quite fit into the under, you know, into the storage, the bus storage that they, they used to have there. I don't know what buses are like now, even. Yeah, that, that's, that section at the back of a route, yeah. the bus where you'd stick your, stick your luggage right. and sometimes that's have right. it stolen by an enterprising Absolutely. thief. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Fine. <laughs> <That, laughs> you can see that, actually going with it. <laughs> when I when I uh, when I first arrived in London in the early eighties, down from Liverpool, that we we had enclosed buses up there. Yeah, even back then. Yeah, I know. And, yeah. and the route master buses were like it was like gloriously suddenly being on the set of some holiday or something. But I found out to my cost that they were the, just about the least secure traveling yeah. experience and. You know, putting your stuff in that in that in that space was essentially like just casting yeah. it away on That's the wind. That's right. Yeah, it's like putting it outside outside your door for somebody you know, if they want it. Yeah, yeah. it's yours. Please, <laughs> please take this suitcase. Absolutely yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that that was um, that was about the only problem we had with that space. I actually rather like the tea chest space. You can get quite a nice sound on of it after a while. Um, but that, that was how I started anyway, yeah, and doing little skiffle gigs around South London and Croydon and, you know, places like that. Yeah. And then, then I, yeah, well, that led me, I, I must, it just must be the kind of mind I've got because it always goes, I always want to find the roots of something, you know, what, yeah. where it came from. So I, I, that's what I started doing. And within about a year, a year or two after, after the, that skiffle thing, I'd started to get interested in actual, really American folk music more than English folk music. Yeah. But you know, that I'd started to sort of be interested in in that. And of course, the protest movement was just starting then. Yeah. With, well, not just starting, but Pete Seeger was still around. Woody yeah. Guthrie was still around. And I wrote to them. I mean, I was running a fanzine as well called Rambler, which was which was a a kind of folk skiffle blues magazine, and so I always had, you know, I always had the the, the authority of the fanzine <laughs> to to write to people. But it, uh, for some reason, I was never, I was never kind of nervous about writing to people I, I admired. This is how I met so many people when I was so young, you know, because yeah. because because I I did. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so Woody wrote back to me, and I have a I had a little correspondence with Woody. 
and also Pete Seeger. Pete, they, were, they were both under a sort of house arrest at the time. It was the un-American activities period. Uh, yeah. Okay, got it. So they were, you know, there was a lot of sympathy for them in, in certainly in left-wing circles in, in England. And, and I was never in anything but left-wing circles, I think. I don't think I could ever have escaped. Yeah. Who would want to be anywhere else? That's the thing. You know? Well, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it was. I, I, I know. I sent them both a subscription to Encounter because I couldn't think of anything else to give them for Christmas and or to how to get it there. So, uh, subscriptions to Encounter were were around. I was reading Encounter, so I sent them each a subscription to Encounter, which of course I didn't know at the time was run by the CIA. <laughs> <laughs> There it was. I love it. <laughs> so are they like, hey man, what are you trying to do here? <laughs> well, it came out a bit later, you know, Stephen Spender, there was a sort of scandal about it. They, it was a left-wing magazine, but it was financed by the by the CIA, yeah. as is as was fit, or the FBI or whatever it was. You know, it, it was the CIA. It was fairly common in those days. They they thought I was talking to a to a CIA guy I knew. And he said that basically they knew that the left-wing organizations were always the organizations that in a crisis would come together and get things done. So, yeah. so, so they, they, they weren't actually infiltrating or anything else as far as they were concerned. By supporting left-wing groups, they were basically supporting an emergency system if everything <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> It was a very weird, I mean, um, <laughs> I it was it. very interesting talking to the guy actually about various things, including the Bear of Pigs. And, yeah. you know, and he, they, they, he was actually very upset because they got the blame for it and they'd, be, they'd been the ones who'd warned against doing it. You know, that, that it wouldn't come off. They, they, he said, we, you know, we, before this went on, we, we, we circulated all the, all the South American countries and so on to see what, you know, what they thought of this. They all thought it was a bad idea. And so the CIA says, it's a bad idea. And they went ahead with it anyway. I don't know, you know, it's probably some Jag Hoover thing or something. And in those days, it was so complex that I don't think they'll ever work out who was doing what entirely. Anyway, yeah, in music. And then I, we did a record, which is very bad a demo record at, at EMI. We went to EMI and, and did this demo record. God knows it's it's not around anymore and I hope it never ever emerges because <laughs> it, it, one, one side was called Aching My Toe Rock. It was a rock and roll song. And the other was a was a was a was a more traditional sort of folky thing. Um, around about around, when this would this be, Mike? Sort of 55, 56. Yeah, okay, got it. Yeah, 57. That that that's yeah, it would have been, let's see, 56 or seven, it would have been, yeah. On the cusp around there, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was still at Tars and Adventures. Was I still at Tars and Adventures? Yes. Oh no, no, it was before. So it was about fifty-six. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was fifty-six. Yeah. Sorry. And because uh, I, I was, I can just identify it by where I was working at the time. You know. And sort of, yeah. Like, and that was terrible. I mean, really, genuinely awful. And I then, I did some more sort of general stuff. You know, playing with different people. And, and Mike, at this point, what instruments were you were you playing by this point? Oh, guitar. But Guitar yeah. and banjo, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. Not, not banjo at all much, except in, you know, folk stuff, 
which I, I wasn't doing. I was doing mostly blues when I, yeah. when I was playing with other people. So I was doing guitar. Yeah. And, you know, blues guitar is really all I, I knew how to do. And still all I had to do is just modify it as best. And, yeah, you know, the Soho scene, the coffee bar scene, all of that. Did some gigs in the Iron Gimbal. And generally, I mean, the Iron Gimbal really wasn't a performance place. It was really where people met. But we, we, we played down there any, yeah. as well, you know. And, uh, what, oh, God, I can't remember. Oh, the, was the, no, the Two Eyes was in, no, it was in California. No, yeah, no, the Two Eyes was in Compton. We never went to the Two Eyes. The Two Eyes was the, was, the, was the coarse rock and roll place. We were too snobbish to go to. We were blues people. And these were rock and roll people like Tommy Steele, that was the best known. <laughs> yeah. And, but... I actually got on with them all right. They were a nice bunch of of, of, of lads, you know, most screaming lords such and and what we 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 Willie Harris was it? He he yeah. came from the same town as me actually. So it's quite a good good good. It's quite a rich little place. Well, like the Wirral really, which is which is must have had a famous person every second. Right on, yeah, <laughs> in every second house, yeah, every second house. Yeah. <laughs> So, so it was really in the air. I mean, the whole thing, it was the period when, just at the same period as, you know, the Yardbirds started to come up, that we all came out of that same, that same, it's, it's like, South, you know, South London was like that. You, it's amazing how many, many sort of ace guitarists came out of, out, out of, out of you know, my little neighbourhood. Yeah. And I mean, I never knew any of them. Dick Mick from Hawkwind, I think it was Dick Mick, no, it was, oh God, was the other guy. Ah, oh, really sweet, nice guy. Early Hawkwind guy, anyway. Yeah. He, he moved to British Columbia. He, he came from, he went to, to Aubrey Manor School, which was just around the corner from my house. I, never, I didn't go to it. My mother, was, my mother sent me to a posh private school. Yeah. I didn't learn anything as much as my friends at the, at the council school getting a much better education. I mean, I knew that. But it was it was also easier at the private school, so I was sort of <laughs> in two minds. <laughs> also, also the the Norbury Manor had the what was the name of those guys? Anyway, there was a, a bunch of really, really, really nasty guys. One of whom shot a copper in in Croydon yeah. a couple of years later, and and so it, well, it was, and they were my sort of local enemies. So it was when I, I had to go to the school to do my eleven plus. But all of this gang were waiting outside for me. We had to go outside. You know, we had to do a bit of the eleven plus. Then we had to go outside, and they were all waiting for me. So I was con- I was concentrating entirely on what was going to happen to me when I, when I left the uh, <laughs> as you would, or, or yeah, as I would. And, and uh, I mean, I was in ter- terrible <laughs> state. And and my I don't think my I don't think anybody could have read what I what I wrote in my in my exam papers uh, I certainly failed it pretty pretty spectacularly <laughs> but, you know I, I, overwhelming fear will do that to you right if you're sitting there with the sword of Damocles over your head that's, that's possibly right. the worst the worst environment to take an exam in. <laughs> it's like a white supremacist being put yeah. in jail in the states you know? <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that that was that that, that was how, how we. It, it was a pretty ordinary, you know, in, in the general enthusiasm of the day. I would say for music, writing was different. You know, I I I I, I always put writing first, even when I was doing music. I would, 
only do it if it wasn't interfering with with my writing. I had yeah. to I, I, mean, I had to sort of frame it in some way. So we did you know we did a, we did a, a bit of but in in the sixties Lang Jones and Charles Platt and me and and and, and some other non-SF friends, decided to do a record for the, for, the, for the 1965 London Science Fiction Convention. And it was going to be called Suddenly It's the Belly Flops, which, which is a great idea when you know, we were all laughing and having a good time. Then we had to do it and we did it. And frankly, again, it's another one that, that actually it is around somewhere because people have taped it. it only, we only had a, an acetate of it. And and we 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 uh, the idea was we were going to sell it at the science fiction convention. I mean, I, I we we had other ideas for this. I don't know quite what we were thinking, but we were we we were probably drinking more than we were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we 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 got this little group together to to do sudden that we called the Belly Flops. That was the name of the band. And uh, we did. We we mostly did just satirical rock and roll songs, and th so that was the second second actual recording I did. Just as bad. Well, not just as bad as the first. No, it actually had real musicians on it. <laughs> not 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 in a very good state. And and I did stuff. You know, I played stuff around. You know, with uh, privately with friends and so on. But but it wasn't really until uh, I think Nick Turner and 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 Bob Calvert. Bob Calvert came to see me and he was talking about Hawkwind. He wasn't really in Hawkwind at the time, but he was sort of you know, just around it. And he was just saying, you, know, you ought to come and see it. It's, a, you know, it's an interesting band. And so then Nick turned up, I think. And this is when I'd been, you know, by this time, this is the 1970. So it's quite, yeah. a, I'd, I'd been, I hadn't really been doing any music for what six seven years of any kind and so 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 they turned up and they said and, and then I think I think actually it was Dave Brock who said you know would you do some stuff for us and I said sure yeah you know <laughs> I'll do anything for anybody you know. and they said fine so so then I think what happened was Bob had one of his turns i.e he had to be carted off to the bin for a bit yeah uh, I might have been the one who helped him get there because you, you had to get him into the bin before the cops got him because he'd go so crazy that he'd get himself into serious trouble. Yeah. I mean, you knew it was, you knew, you knew what it was, but obviously other people didn't and he was yeah. pretty high. So John Trucks and I had to go and find him and sort of haul him out of whatever situation he'd got himself into and then hold him for a bit until we could get him into the Priory, which is basically the way it, Ran yeah. and then and the priory wasn't really right for him, but it was about the only place we could put him and, and make sure he didn't get charged for the various things he'd yeah. done while he was uh, while he was yeah. And so he 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 got a bit worried about not being able to perform with Hawkwind. And I said, well, what I'll do is, uh, and Dave Brockett asked me if I if I'd perform with Hawkwind under the motorway, which is where we John Trucks and various other people had had put together a little theatre, People's Theatre. That was the time when we were, Notting Hill was still kind of fighting off the, the, the encroachment of the, of the yuppies and so yeah, forth. Right and they wanted to put nice little shops under the motorway and we wanted to put, you know, people's stuff under course, the motorway. Yeah. And so we, we won for a short while. 
until they burned the theatre down, and that, which I've always thought was an act of, of came from the Tory council or at yeah. least somebody close to it. But anyway, yeah, a piece of Tory um, council terrorism. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, it wasn't yeah. wasn't wasn't unfunny. You know, those 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 Kensington Tories thought they owned oh. Kensington. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and actually, they still feel that way now. Oh, which yeah. Is, which is that 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 whole ethos, local governance ethos, is how you get the Grenfell Tower. That's how it all comes that's about. Right. And that's those that's those clowns in Kensington as well. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I mean, I well, anyway, we, yeah, we, we that's we, a whole we that's dealing, a whole podcast, yeah, yeah, and we were dealing with all those same kind of people, and with a rather ineffectual person in between, so sort of supposed to be the the social director or something. You know, they'd set him up, and he could he didn't have any power. But we got this, this, this we, and so my first gig with Hawkwind. Oh, I, first of all, I said to Bob, "Look, I'm not going to take your job." I've got a job. <laughs> I'd be happy with that job. I'll do your job while you can't do it. But as soon as you come back, you know, want to come back, I'm off, and you know, and you can go back on and, and do what you do. So I took over. I, I started doing lyrics for Hawking and, and performing the lyrics at yeah. that theatre at the little. I don't know what it's called now. Portobello Green, they call it now. It used to yeah. be. That's a bit of bit of bit of waste ground, yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, we and I did Sonic Attack and and you know various various things that I actually recorded later with with Hawkwind. I never record. I've never I've never been out on an official record doing Sonic Attack. I think I might be on a bootleg here and there. But oddly enough, I've never done it on record. It's always been the Nick or Lemmy or whoever. Oh, was... really? Oh, right. Yeah. I, yeah I, I... <laughs> they, they just don't like my version of it. Because <laughs> it's never gone on anywhere. Even yeah. when I've done it in the studio, it's never gone on. <laughs> Somebody else has done it. Over. I, I, there, I think there are one or two versions around. And, I'm, and I don't, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a bit hurt by that. I'd like to be able to do one <laughs> version. Bloody William Shatner did an appalling version. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that sh- I was going to ask you about that, mate. The, the, that, I mean, in a way, it must be kind of a bizarre honour to have Shatner mangle your work to such a spectacular degree. It's kind <laughs> yeah. of brilliant that he did it. You know what I mean? It, oh, it, I agree. <laughs> I mean, they're so gloriously absurd, those albums of his, and so actually poorly delivered, with maybe one exception, which is, did you ever hear that album he did? It's called Has Been. He did it with Ben. No, I, I actually have never heard a full album. Of- <laughs> uh, well, yeah, who, who would want to put themselves through it? Well, if you're ever going li- to listen to one, the one halfway decent version of what he does is an album called Has Been, which was produced by Ben Folds. And he does a version of Common People by Pulp. And oh, it's okay. basically him talking his way through the verses and Joe mm-hmm. Jackson singing the chorus, right? And, and Ben Folds playing the keyboards. And actually, that is no word of a lie. And I'm not, I'm being straight up, that is glorious. It's insane. Oh. It's insane, but it's glorious. Yeah. But, have however, you ever, 
Oh, yeah, no, carry on. Have you, have you heard PJ Proby doing Reading the Wasteland? Oh, man. Which, De, which Savoy put out. <laughs> Dave Britton put it out. He got Proby, and it's actually better than a lot of other people reading The Wasteland. I, I and, agree. Uh, several poets I, I played it to, I mean, it was around, it was, it's, on a rec, you know, it's on a disc. Several poets I, I, I played said it was the best version of, you know, much better than anybody, including, including Elliot's version of The Wasteland. The only, there's one... Thing where where Proby loses it or gets it wrong because just he's just reading, and he gets reading the town for reading, so he pronounces it reading rather than reading. Yeah. But actually, if you can ever get hold of it, P.J. Bro- Proby reading the wasteland is is one of the great twentieth century classics. I, I I really believe that because of course it, I'm sure he was act- accessing this deep deep sense. Of of un of unhappiness within himself, yeah, and some some of the core emotions that 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 come out in the wasteland about our relationship with society and all that kind of stuff. I think he's. I think the reason it sounds it sounds so genuine. It, it is, could well be absolutely. I, I think yeah. it really spoke to him, probably without him even well, knowing it. But but that's why it feels. I think that's why it feels so authentic. It could be. I'm not sure. I mean, Dave. Dave probably had other reasons for for doing it. I mean, Dave was brilliant at this. He got Fenella Fielding to read Crash. Ah, brilliant! Yes, Fenella yeah. Fielding started to say, "I'm not sure. This is very, very nice stuff, darling. Are you sure?" <laughs> <laughs> no idea. She was reading what she was reading. Yeah, I mean, he got a lot of stuff of that. Most of it, of course, done illegally. He didn't get the rights to do it. Yeah. But uh, but he's dead now, so what the hell? He's, uh, <laughs> he's laughing, and, and we've got we've got what's left. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 to to pull back from Shatner's insane version of uh, uh, Sonic Attack was that was that written? Where does that fit in in terms of say Warrior on the Edge of Time? Was it the, oh, it's around the same time? Around the same exactly. time, yeah. Yeah, I did a whole batch of you know. I mean, I I could do this stuff in. In minutes, really. I, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a terrible thing to say because I know people struggle and everything. But generally speaking, I can write a song very quickly. It might not be a very good song, but anyway, I can, you know. So, or a, in this case, I call I, what did I call it? Declamatory rhetoric. Yeah. Because it wasn't really singing or poetry. It was just you know, sonic attacks. You know, a sort of satirical thing. I mean, there's or a, whatever you call it, a spoof on public statements during the war mainly but yeah so so that was same as it was around the same period i i i mean i i knew them pretty much from the beginning from the i knew hawkwind pretty much from the beginning i then got a bit involved in the space ritual not it was really bob's bob's and barney's really barney bubbles's project but oh there's a, there's a knock at the door we've never had a direct tornado through through this town but we get we get the edges of them, and yeah. we've we've had a tree just just crack open in front of us while looking wow. at it, and not realizing the, actually what danger we were in because this was soon after we got here. Yeah. We're looking. We just think we've got a tree out front. It's sort of doing a kind of dance. It's going up and down, like you know, like and it's just wonderful. My son was here too, watching it, and suddenly it, <laughs> the whole thing just cracked in two and. <laughs> And and, uh, and then you know then everything else and they the the top came off the local filling station. We didn't we haven't had anything really bad here. I don't know why because we're in Tornado Alley. We you know it goes 
both sides of us. Yeah. But anyway, it got our it got our chimney the last time we had a we had a bat with it's really a hurricane more than a more than a tornado. It's it's called tornado. I didn't know this. They don't put it in the literature when you when you when you're looking around to see where you're gonna live. But this is actually called Tornado Alley. And <laughs> <laughs> Believe, uh, well, I, I can see why they don't use that as an advertising no, point. No, they don't. They don't say no. Austin, capital tornado alley. We're actually, actually Austin itself is not strictly speaking in that path, but because it, you know, which never they never seem to hit big cities very badly, and I'm not sure. The worst tornado we were ever in was in Spain. Uh, we we just missed one here. Got to our flat. We, we were living in Mallorca then, yeah. and it was straight on the sea. I mean, absolutely, literally straight on the sea. It was illegal. The, yeah. the building had been illegal, but yeah. you know, they weren't going to tear it down. And I think it was the first night we got there. A, a tornado came off the sea. I suppose technically it was still a whatever a typhoon or something at that point. But anyway, it came off the sea, and just just took the whole place. I mean, it, it, it as it were seized. Our entire our entire apartment, and we couldn't open doors because of the whatever was going on. All our windows were sucked out. Wow! That uh, you couldn't find a glazier for months after that. After that, I mean, <laughs> you know, this is an island, and they haven't got that much glass spare glass on it. So no, of course, it. yeah. And it was only about a fifteen, I think, a fifteen yard width. It just went went through and took us a few other people, and then. Went on its merry way, but, that, but now, it must have been terrifying in the moment. It wasn't in the moment. The way things often aren't, you know, because you're quite not quite sure. Uh, oh what's yeah, okay, to that you. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I get and it. It's it's like I I remember I, I climbed a glacier many 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 years ago. A very a melting glacier. It was a very dangerous climb, and I hadn't intended to make it. Uh, it was uh, it was my friend who actually misread the the route, and we. Were <laughs> We climbed the glacier by mistake. We did. <laughs> uh, exactly what happened. <laughs> and you could hear the water running under the glacier as you're climbing it. So it's, you know, it's not very stable. Anyway, I did all that. I was about 20 or so, you know, when I did it. About three years, uh, nothing. I didn't feel anything got to the top, you know. I, you know, <laughs> had some raisins, I think that's all I had. To, <laughs> yeah. And came down again. But the only reason we climbed this really high mountain was to get away from the mosquitoes because they're so bad on the plane that you, you're just desperate to get away from them. And you can reach a certain height on a mountain where the, the mosquitoes can't make it anymore. And you see them trying to get at you. And you think, ah, you bastard, you can't <laughs> fly anymore, can you? <laughs> then you realize you can't breathe anymore. But that's another story. <laughs> Anyway, some three years later, I was watching a TV program about climbing, nothing, you know, just curious. And I suddenly realized just how near I'd been to, 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 to a terrifying death then. And, I, and it all came over me then. I mean, I just suddenly was terrified, just, you know, just for a few minutes. Yeah. But, but, it, but, it, but it was three years later that I got frightened. I think it, all these things, you know, take you in different ways. I just heard my grandson got away from a street gang very, very smartly, actually. And, you know, and he didn't, at the time, everybody's saying, you know, quick thinking, you know, because it was very quick thinking what he did. And a very 
you know, together. Yeah. And, and you know, he doesn't know, you know, he, he did it. He, what he did was manage to get onto a bus and keep his cell phone. I mean, all the, yeah. what they were after was his cell phone. And, and he, I'm sure he didn't think twice at the time when he was, when he was doing it, you know, but, but he, he did it and it was, a, it was a smart, he did, I mean, it wasn't just that, it was other stuff involved and he, and he was very smart. He sort of, you know, got himself out of a situation that I know very well from my own experience. It's a, it's a strange thing. Anyway, I won't, no, I won't go into that yet. I'll do that another time. We're supposed to be doing music. Well, actually, you know, the digressions are what make the conversation. So yeah, I guess so. If, but... if, if you're on a roll, I'm, ha I'm happy to pursue it. You know, <laughs> no, it's... No, I'll talk about it another time in different okay. contexts because of yeah. context. Yeah. So, so you, you were talking about Bob Calvert. That's yes. That's before we got into our, well, fascinating fact, the reverie about tornadoes and, and putting, you know, your life at risk. Because yeah, to close out on that, it is interesting. I've been involved in a few car crashes over the years. And of course, the car crashes in the moment. It's true. It's cliche, but it's true. They virtually happen in slow motion. Yeah. And you, you, it's almost like you're looking at it on a television set. Rather than you're right. actually in the middle of and it, you think, this isn't going to happen. Down. No, yeah. this is this isn't. No, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Right on. So I, I do completely get that. But on back to back to Bob Calvert. Then, how did you? You're about to talk about one of your non-Hawkwind collaborations. Yeah, that that was the space ritual. Yeah, that, that space was, ritual. That was yeah, Bob. and I didn't do a great deal. I mean, I, I I did a lot of cheerleading and. Yes, that's grating and that sort of thing at the time. But I, I mean, I wasn't really involved in it except, except just you know when Bob and, or Barney were, were working on it. But I wasn't much involved in in the making of the record at all. I don't think. Don't know why, but I wasn't. Probably because I wasn't asked. You know, usually, yeah. usually, usually, I just, I just, I just. Usually, Dave would phone up and and ask. You know, you know, you're busy. And whatever it was, you know, that he that he had in mind. I did the whole of what's that one called? The Warrior on the Edge of Time. Yeah, Warrior on the um, Edge of Time. Yeah. You did so did you did you write all the songs on that? I wrote no, not all the songs on the album, but all, all some of the some of them. I don't remember how many. I I performed three, I think. Yeah. One was called one was sort of untypical. It's called The Wizard Blew His Horn. Because at the time I wasn't quite sure where everything was going and what what was wanted, so I did that one. But it's not. It sounds a bit, you know, a bit, a bit elfish and fairies for for, for me or for Hawkwind for that matter. Yeah. But uh, but I don't remember after what I I did anyway. I did some some tracks on 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 Warrior. That was the first album I I I did anything any studio work with 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 yeah. Hawkwind on and uh, that got a that that would that did very well so i've got this bloody gold disc now that that it was in those days it was embarrassing to get stuff like that if you were part of an, an underground band <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> couldn't tell your friends you know i didn't know what to do with it you, you know, you, you put it away in a cupboard and uh, yeah. I think you were supposed to give it to your mum. I should have given it to my mum, you know, she'd, she'd have liked it, I think. But I've got it, I've got it, I've still got it. I actually put it up, but it's in a corner so where you can't really... Yeah. No casual I, mean, I can see I, I don't know, if you, if, you, if you walk into Apple headquarters... As I've done every now and again, the whole thing's festooned in uh, well, in, quite, in, in yeah. discs. So I think yes. the fact that you've got one, you if you've got it, flaunt it, right? I suppose so. I mean, I didn't. I didn't think it. 
I didn't think like that at the time. I was it was more yeah. an embarrassment, you know, because it it put us into that you know that that dodgy area, you know, that commercial <laughs> yeah. area. Right on. Sure. Yeah. Anyway, I mean that's that's well gone now. I mean Dave Dave's, Dave's <laughs> bloody playing the Palladium. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, yeah. So I so, did that, and 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 I I went out intermittently when 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 Bob couldn't do it. I would do it yeah. uh, at the band's request. So, f so they would either go out without anybody fronting or with, yeah. with me or Bob, but mostly with Bob. He was the, he was the true link. He was the true frontman band. Yeah. I was the kind of I was his, I was the understudy. Came in times of sickness and crisis. Yes, yeah, <laughs> very reliable. <laughs> and I wasn't balmy. Oh, not that balmy. <laughs> so, 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 Mike, how did? The how much later was a Chronicle of the Black Sword? Oh, that was quite a bit later. That was in the eighties. Yeah. Think, uh, in the in the latish eighties, actually. I that's actually when I decided not to perform with the band anymore because because it had been Nick Turner who'd first asked me for you know to 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 do an Elric to do an Elric venture. It was completely informal. I mean, these days there'd be about. 500 lawyers involved and you yeah. know and stacks of paper but it was, it was never a there was never any kind of contract we just did it and so nick and hugh were working on on songs and and i did a bunch of songs for it when asked but meanwhile dave was frankly playing politics and and nick was was squeezed out of the band again or fired again yeah. which was the second time in a not particularly pleasant way. I mean, I don't, it's a, it's a pretty standard way in rock and roll bands, but it's, you know, you, you turn up for work one day and discover you've been fired, you know, somebody else playing your instrument, wow. but, but nonetheless. So I, I got a bit, I didn't really, I lost interest in it, tell you the truth, or rather lost enthusiasm for it. Yeah. But it was a good show, which basically was done by by Dave and, and, and Hugh Lloyd Langton. And, they had dancers, you know, and they had a mime doing Elric, and it looked good. I mean, the, the, the show actually did look good, and the whole, the whole thing was, was pretty good, I thought, anyway. But I didn't perform it very much. In fact, I only performed it, I think, twice, both at the Hammersmith Odeon or whatever it had been. Yeah. It's called now the uh, the Bex beer. Oh yeah, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually, I was, I was going on the, on the, on, I was. I was taking Linda on a belated honeymoon on the QE2 to, to New York. It was that, that package you could buy. You got the QE2 there and you got the Concorde back. Oh, yeah. I, was, um, I would love to have done that myself. I, 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 I've done the Concorde. I did the Concorde a couple of times and, yeah. and, it, and it was a great, great plane, but terrible passengers, as I think I may have yeah. mentioned. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With David, David Frost and all those guys. Well, you know, it's sort of, not the people you want to go, you, no. you don't want to die with. If you're going to crash into the sea, you'd rather do it with a bunch of ordinary people that you can... Yeah, you don't want to be sat next to Rupert Murdoch when you're... No, you when don't. You, no, when you're flying into oblivion. No. no, he probably had his own one, but oh, still. Oh, yeah, so anyway, true, yeah. <laughs> and I'd, I'd, crossed, I'd done, done sea crossings quite a lot before, before that on Russian ships. The Russians yeah. are the only ones running regular passenger route. Well, I think the Poles had a ship as well. It was in order to get, to get really, to get dollars, to get, to get you know, pounds and dollars, hard yeah. currency. So they ran those lines, but it was, and they took 
twice as long as the QE duty cross, which was fine. I mean, you know, you could be drunk for 10 days in, yeah. a, in a, a relatively you know, safe environment. Yes. But so, so anyway, yeah, that happened. Oh, in the meantime, I'd done a single, which I'd really just done for the hell of it. And it was a sort of a, a rock and roll single called Dodgem Dude. And on the other side was a B, the beast or whichever side was Star Cruiser. And they were both just straight old fashioned rock and roll songs, really, but with a bit of, you know, I suppose a bit of double meaning to them, like old fashioned rock and roll songs. And we, it, so I, my mind is wandering. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, that was. Oh, yeah, um... I, did, I, did, I did the single. And I thought, you know, it's a, it's a nice little single. I, I just wanted to do it. I, I, I actually wrote it on a train and it's got train rhythms to it. You can actually... It's just little rock and roll songs, nothing special. And Douglas, who was managing Hawkwind at the time, took it to United Artists. Yeah. And the next thing I knew was that I'd been invited to lunch by, by the United Artists people. The UNA people, not UNA, our people. But, uh, yeah, uh, the, the, the ANL people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we're sitting down at lunch, you know, chat, chat, this and that. And then the bloke says, well, when do you think you could get us your first album in? I mean, this, this sort of, this shouldn't happen, if you know what I mean. There are people out there struggling. <laughs> yeah, struggling. People yeah. genuinely <laughs> Seriously, dedicating people. every working hour to try to try to get to this moment. Absolutely, and I don't even know that that's what the lunch is about. Yeah, and so I said, "Well, I'll, I'll, he said, yeah, you know, do three albums." Just wondered how, how you, you know, how, what you thought you were going to do on your first. And I, <laughs> I couldn't think. Of it. Well, I said, I hadn't really thought about it. I'll, I'll let, you know, and I gave him some babble. It didn't seem to matter. But what I did do is I thought I will because it, I'd had that break. I thought I'd I'd put a, a band together of blokes who needed a break. Yeah. So that's what I did. I, basically, none of the none of the basic band had ever ever recorded before, which 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 was it wasn't a mistake in getting the bat the, the the blokes Graham Charnock and, and and Steve. It was just that we weren't we weren't we didn't have any studio savvy. Yeah. So the, a lot of people liked the album. I mean. A lot of people like like it's still, it's still you know it's still out there it's still and, and is still... this is this the secret origin of the deep fix in in effect so are we oh, talking yeah, about, it's the deep fix are, yeah, are we yeah. talking about New World's Fur is is that the album you yeah New World's yeah. Fur sorry yeah, yeah 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 that's the one and uh, also I had a lot of spin off spin off material which which Hawkwind I think used in their album after Warrior on the Edge of Time so so Needle Gun was. Was yeah. one originally mine, but they did. Kings of Speed was mine, but I, I only realised about a year ago that the reason we got so few radio plays as the Deep Fix was because, and and I I really had strong anti me feelings from the BBC. I mean, really, people didn't you know enthusiasts would 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 put me on a show and then I'd be kicked off again. Yeah, and I really didn't. I, I never did understand it. I only realised a year or two ago that, 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 that the deep fix, which was meant as a metaphor and never really intended to refer to drugs as yeah. such, was what it was. It was, you know, I'd, I'd never thought of it. 
yeah, and, yeah. and there's, there's several things over the years that I've often wondered what had offended people or got up people's noses and so or what had sparked, say, W.H. Smith's not to, you know, to do to, not to do new worlds or whatever it was. How could these things, you know, just suddenly pop up when we've been running along the same lines forever, you know, which is exactly what, what happened. Yeah. And, and I think it's, there are just little triggers that people have actually got nastier minds than I've got. I mean, I know that, I mean, I've got a pretty, pretty nasty mind in many ways, as many will, you know, as many will attain, <laughs> but, but attest, but, but I can't, I, I can't actually follow the workings of brains that decide that that is, you know, say, filth or disgusting or, or, or socially unacceptable, or because it doesn't, I just, I don't seem to notice these things very much. It's strange. Pity about Italy. Um, yeah, yeah, no, mate. My, my, my family are just going bananas about that. <laughs> very, there's a huge level of disappointment in the sum, no matter about all that. Although, funnily enough, I was on, on the night of the on the night of the the, the final. I was I was actually in Soho with my dad, who it was his 89th birthday, and I'd taken him to Ronnie Scott's because they had a Fantastic big band on Craig Wild big band. He loves his big band. He used to be a big band drummer, mm -hmm. and he and and he he both him and my cousin four went watching the the final because their thing is they're not particularly interested in in watching England play. They'd much rather watch Liverpool play. So 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 we went, but of course. Yeah. Frith Street is the Italian epicenter of Soho, far Italia. <laughs> and so by the time we by the time we got there, there's fucking thousands of Italians <laughs> it, it, right in the middle of Frith Street. And either end of Frith Street, there's mobs of English people. And we when we came out of Ronnie Scott, which is when the penalties were going on, it was fucking bedlam. It was like a pitch fucking battle, you know, between or well, dick swinging Italians and dick swinging, you know, English dudes. So 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 we basically almost had to machete our way out of that. So I'm with my, you know, my 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 dad now in his 90th year, hacking my way through this crowd while it was all kicking off around us. It was a fascinating place to be at a fascinating moment. Yeah, it must be. I remember when 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 we beat Germany, where uh, and there were some Germans in the pub at the same time. And it started off with we won the cup, all very amiable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. turned into we won the war. <laughs> of I mean, course. <laughs> And I remember some some people that I, I was with got really scared and were hiding under a table at some point yeah. because you know, things had turned a little bit nasty. Not not for the I mean for the Germans who were kind of in I mean in a dodgy situation but were pulling themselves out of it. But it just carried on anyway. I mean the the, the you know once that adrenaline starts, it just. It just, it's, it's, it's horrible. To oh, yeah, it, it's it's completely self-sustaining, isn't it? Oh, and, yeah. And, and it, we and used to live across from a pub, a, a Chelsea and Fulham. When Chelsea, we, we lived in uh, on the on the on the edge of Fulham Road and on the corner of Fulham Road, and the pub across was one of the pubs where the Chelsea supporters used to gather. It might have been the Fulham supporters. I can't because it didn't matter. Within about five minutes of them arriving, the 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 outdoor furniture, you know, great big pub tables, solid wooden pub pub bench tables would be splinters. And Linda would be leaning out the window, trying to you know, screaming at them, stop, you know, stop, call the police and stuff <laughs> like this. And I'm saying, no, 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 just let them get on with it because really, frankly. <laughs>
I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) I think that is, that's the moment to close out on, mate, on on that bombshell. And and we've only just scratched the surface of 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 your music years. So we'll get into we'll get back into that next time. All right, yeah. we'll, we'll pick it yeah. where we left off. Yeah, yeah. And I uh, prepare to stay chipper and everything, you know, as chipper as they can. And yeah. and you know, your dad makes it to to a hundred. Yeah, <laughs> I I hope the very they're in great shape at the moment, mate. And I hope the very yeah. same thing. Yeah, so yeah, great. thank you very much, brother. You take uh, care of yourself, Mike. Uh, yeah, love, I will. love to Linda, and I'll see you yeah. very soon. Yeah, cheers, Ed. Cheers, mate. Take care. Bye, bye. You've been listening to Hard Agree. This episode was edited by John Horsley and Kenrick Regan, and our theme music, Golden, was written and performed for this show by Liverpool's finest band, Denio. Hard Agree is a production of the Spoilerverse and myself, Andrew Sumner.